And hello there again on a beautiful Melbourne day here in the studios of 3CR. 3CR, your only radio left. And indeed we are. And it's time for Left After Breakfast. Susanna Duffy here with you again this morning. And of course, Glenn, our resident historian. Historian, her historian, our historian. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Susanna. And of course, good morning, listener. Well, of course, I keep forgetting well, to say... Well, without the listener, we wouldn't be here, would we? That's right. That's right. How can you be the vox populi, but the, the voice person of the listening? People, That's right. Hmm. Now, speaking of vox populi, one of the listeners rang a while ago wanting to know about the Australian involvement in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Sorry, the what? The Australian... What was, what was the Australian involvement activities, behaviours... During the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962. You mean, what did we do what as did we Australians do? Yeah. in 1962? What did the government do in 1962? Gosh, I can't remember what the government did, dear listener. I do remember how I felt. Well, I remember precisely and exactly. And I had been brought up on the bomb. The bomb. Hmm. Capital T, capital B, actually B-O-M-B was in full capital letters. As was exclamation mark. Very emphasised. Yes, it was very scary. Mm. And it, well, the 50s and the early 60s were the period of the bomb. We had the two bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, both the Soviet Union and the US were testing nuclear And the British. The Brits, the US and the Soviet Union were testing nuclear bombs. It was a very scary time. So I listened to Rang, what did Australia do? I, oh, I hunted around and I found an article in a magazine called The Conversation and it's from a PhD by Dr. Laura Stanley. She was studying at VUT, so thank you, Laura Stanley, for your notes. And um, look, we know October 1962 was a big cross, you know, because the Soviet Union was going to bring missiles to base them on Cuba and the Americans' back door. And Cuba had just had revolution, Castro had seized power, and the Americans were quite perturbed by it, you know. They lost their dictator, Batista, they lost their, their holiday playground in Cuba, and that the Soviets would bring missiles to put into Cuba in the, in the Americans' backyard. Scandalous, disgusting. The Americans were horrified. So the Americans decided to blockade the Soviet vessels. If these vessels entered the waters, Americans would shoot them and sink them. So the world for two weeks and a bit longer was on the brink of a possible nuclear conflict, you know? So this is October 1962. Even I wasn't born then. That's a while ago. <laughs> Just thinking, you were saying you weren't born and I'm saying I remember it. So I was so afraid. Uh, my mother was in her, in her second trimester by that stage. So I was on the way. Anyway... On the 22nd of October, so on the 23rd of October 1962, the Australian Prime Minister, Mr Yes, addressed Parliament and declared Australia would support the US. He welcomed the US decision in bringing the matter to the United Nations and pledged Australian government support for the UN. Now, the Australian government was the first government in the world, under Mr Menzies, to support the US in the Cuban crisis. The British had taken a, a private stand in conversations to support the Americans, but Australia was the first government anywhere in the world to take a public stance in supporting the US and the UN to, um, to try to bring about a resolution to the Cuban Missile Crisis. And um, we're not surprised, Australia has always been uh, dependent on foreign powers, be it the UK or the US. And since, the, uh, since World War II and the British, uh, how would you say, the British... Um, abandonment of interest in Australia with the full of Singapore and these issues, Australia's turned to its, its friends in the US to be our, our main protectors. And as such, we are dependent upon this talk. Anyway, so October 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis. The world still on the brink of a crispus. Would it be a nuclear war? What would happen over Cuba? And the Australian government came out, as I said, by support of the US 
And um, Menzies wrote to um, Mr. Kennedy, the US president, saying, we're facing a very grave threat at these quarters. We need to support you. And um, interesting, Australian support wasn't as overt as you might expect. There was a bit of a qualification. And um, in Laura Stanley and her PhD has worked on some of these qualifications. And the fact was, if you look a bit closer, the Menzies government's support was a bit calculated. And um, the government, particularly officials in the Foreign Affairs Department, and the public external affairs were concerned about the implications of a crisis of Australia. Now, what was the links? What was the implications? What were the concerns of federal government in supporting the US during the Cuban Missile Crisis? In the same days Menzies declared support for the US, Major Health, the Minister of External Affairs, Garfield Barwick, and the Department Secretary, Arthur Tangi, because they were talking about, you know, if we have US bases on our soil missiles, and we, we say the Cubans can't do the same, isn't there an issue there? So, you know, we're, we're saying we can have U.S. bases here, U.S. missiles here, but the Cubans can have bases and missiles on their soil. So they were considered was a bit of a, a bit of a double standard there. Well, surely that was no surprise to anyone. Double mm. standard wasn't it? Wasn't it a double standard? If it was America, it was good. Well, if it was the Soviet, it was bad. It was it, evil. Okay, it wasn't a double standard. It was a bit of there were some issues that Barbican Tangy was saying. You know, well, we want. Foreign bases and foreign weapons here. You were opposing another nation having foreign weapons and foreign bases on their soil. So there are some um, there are some nuances here that the government was aware of, and just about you know. And you're right, US good, USSR bad. That's how it was portrayed. That's how it was said. But there were some nuances which might be debated in the UN or in a big forum. So there was some. Um, it wasn't even disquiet. There was conscious intent. The government. There were some areas of ambiguity. Well, I'm surprised there were any areas at all of ambiguity. I, I thought they just saw, you know, left, right, black, white, yes, no. Oh, but publicly. They did publicly. And, you know, in their view, Australia had a distinct interest in preserving the right of powerful allies to put bases in Australia if they wanted them to. In 1962, they wanted an American base. They wanted Pine Gap. They wanted American trips on our soil. Oh, American still plane. Here. Mm. But they're saying, yeah, we want the Americans here. But the Cubans can't have the Russians here. So, well, so. the Cubans, let's face it, they were excitable Latin types, mm. weren't they? Probably, mm. probably not to be trusted. The reality was, look, Australia was always on the back of the US to be held. But there was no debate there. But there was, as I said, some, um, there were some, there were some points of differences. There were some qualifications required as to, you know, we can have bases, but they can't. That's because we're good and they're bad. They're commos. But surely no one questioned it. Well, I said Barfield, who was the Minister for External Affairs, and the head of the department, Arthur Tangy, did have a series of discussions and meetings about, you know, if we go to the UN... With whom did they meet? Amongst themselves. Amongst and themselves. Bureaucrats and ministers. And if we go to the UN and debate this, and then I say, well, hang on, you want base on your soil, but you, want, you can't let them have base on their soil. How, I, how do you I, argue hmm. this in an international forum? So there was some, some... From what you say, there was some jumping around. I find it hard to believe that there was any debate at all whatsoever. Well, but in her words, in the words of Laura Sanders, PhD, but Barwick and Tangy were acutely aware of the complexity and difficulties of the position. In the effect, but not the intent, Australia's desires align with Cuban objectives. Just as Cuba wanted their allies' weapons on their soil, Australia did the same. And, you know, there's issues about, mm, what do we do? We just, yeah, we, our dependence on the Americans is the primary thing. That's the main thing for us as Australia. So, yes, we don't want bases on, on their soil. We want bases on our soil. So we'll back the Americans to the hilt. And they did in October 62. 
And the Australians were also concerned at the same time as you had the Cuban Missile Crisis, you had Berlin happening. You had the Berlin Wall issues in Berlin. So you had the conflict simmering in the Caribbean, conflict in Europe. And the Australians were concerned, hang on, if the Brits and Yanks are occupied in Northern Hemisphere and something goes wrong in the Asia-Pacific region, what happens to us here? Who do we turn to? So there's a few complexities at play amongst the Australian government in their decision-making process. Anyway, finally, it went to the United Nations. And Australia, again, Australia wasn't and still aren't on the Security Council. Australia can vote in the uh, General Assembly. So Australia, of course, supported the Americans. And playing a key role in getting votes was a man called the Australian Parliamentary Representative to the United Nations, James Plimsoll. Plimsoll, he was the representative to the United he Nations. He was Australia. Isn't it Cory Bernardi now? Uh, he's our representative everywhere. He has a comment on all the issues. Plimsoll spent his time working fervently to get support of the US. He was well respected in the UN. He got a lot of votes on side. And Australia Plimsoll as a faithful supporter of the US during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, again, issues about the legality of American actions, they weren't discussed, you know. We didn't discuss how legally we were blockading the Soviet vessels in international waters. That was pushed aside. Why was it, I wonder, at that time, or did any time, but I mean at that particular why was it that Australia as a whole, governments all suddenly they decided that we would follow America instead of follow England? Because England's the sun was setting. I did a story ooh, a few months back on the Suez Canal. The British influence was fading away. We'd lost. And it in, was, India had gone. Was it fading away in Australia then? Look, the Queen wasn't. We would love her till the day she dies. I did but see her passing by. But in the world of real politic, the British did not have the military might the US had. The British had lost India. Malaysia had lost, had gone. Singapore was a few years away from independence. The Suez Canal, the British and Frenchmen arrived in the Suez. Um, the British sphere of influence was fading away. I mean, Britannia didn't rule the waves. The Americans ruled the waves. But I wonder what made Australia here, the, the, those big fat men up there, those big fat white men, sorry, I shouldn't call them fat. Those, uh, Billy McMahon wasn't fat. Those white men in power sitting up there, uh, what made them decide to go for America, apart from you saying, as I heard you quite clearly, saying that the sun was setting on the mm. British Empire, in fact, the sun on the empire on which the sun once never set. But that, that's not really the point. But I know that um, the, the real Curtin, issue, of course, yes. had gone against them. But why would... We had a different government after World but War II. But again, the issue was World War Two. I mean, the British... I mean, we had the episodes with the fall of Singapore where the British trying to divert Australian troops to Ceylon and Burma and bring them back to Australia. And the Americans filled the void. I mean, the Americans actually had troops here. They had aircraft here. They had boats here. And the Americans gave us the, um, the degree of protection the British couldn't deliver. So um, was that it? Did we think, oh, they're Big Brother looking after us? Oh, but not, not they, Big Brother is watching you. But, no, but, they're, they're, well, yeah, they're, they're our protectors. They're our great... Because Australia is a scared little white nation in the region. We want big white nations to protect us. And if it can't be the UK, well, who better than the US? And, um, and Australia realigned us after World War II. And the, the British fear of influence was fading away. And once one empire fades, a new one comes. And you see it now to China and the US. The USA over time will lose its influence around the world. It won't happen overnight. It never does happen overnight. When the British Empire took, you know, 
70, 80, and it hasn't even gone totally yet. Britain is still a big player on the world stage, but not the player. Well, not much anymore after after they've got themselves out of Europe. Well, that's a, you make your bed, you line it. And they've got to pay all the debts. See the debts they have to pay? Well, you make your bed, you line it. But yeah. who's the world's biggest debtor? I think it's USA. Well, isn't the last it? thirty years are the biggest yeah. debtor. So again, and the Americans' economy is a bit of a basket case. Militarily, the last war the one was in Grenada. I mean, the Americans aren't Grenada. the powerful players they like to portray themselves as. Well, when they invaded Grenada '83, it was about right. as big as King Island. Yes, Grenada. That was when the last USA invaded. How big is Grenada? Uh, King Island. King Island. Yeah, or Flinders Island, maybe. Maybe as big as Carlton. Yeah, probably. But what have they won since? They couldn't beat the Taliban. They couldn't control Iraq. Look at the mess they left behind the Middle East, you know. The Americans have not won a war since Grenada. It's pretty good. And who that was George Bush, wasn't it? Yeah, um, no, it, was, it was Reagan. Reagan. 83 it was, 83, 84. What kind of bloke's name here? What, he let, what oh. did they invade? I mean, what was the reason? There, there was a Marx-Leninist coup, which happened through the government. Oh, I see. Was so it, the people was it Forbes of Burnham? Grenada had yeah, voted in. Yeah. Like the people of Chile voting. Had got rid of the army running the place. Like the people of Chile voted for Allende in 73. Ah, yes. And the people in, uh, in Guatemala had voted for the left in 51. And, and was it kind of the mob who won in Iran in 53? Because they voted for left candidates. And that's, uh, that's basically a Marxist coup. So you need oh, that's a government. A, that's called a Marxist coup. Pretty much so, yeah. Uh, unlike the murder of lots of people. Well, I was thinking now, in my local government authority... Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be in something called um, the Collingwood Council. I'm now I'm with the city of Yarra. Yes. Yes, listener, we're all Yarras now. Remember Yarras? Where you, you know, your bloody Yarra. We're all Yarras now. But my uh, representative is of the left variety. So has there been a Marxist coup in my ward? Well, if it has... They've kept it secret because it hasn't been able to throw a power yet. Don't, well, tell, don't tell MI5 of the Secret Service. The Herald Sun, sorry, however you pronounce S-C-U-M, had uh, an image. They had the, the city of Yarra, Yarra logo with oh, a God, hammer and sickle over it. Oh, God. You remember the, the sibling paper, the Herald Scum, the Daily Telegraph in, 19, in the 2013 election? Had a picture of um, they they touched up the front page about some ownership laws. It was Stephen Conroy next to Stalin, Hitler? <laughs> you know, Stephen Conroy. Yeah, I mean he's to the right of Hitler in many ways, you know. Well, but he was saying, because he was going to destroy press freedom in Australia. It was going to destroy press freedom. Yeah, some what? law they're going to pass. Oh, it was just... going to say that Murdoch could only own fifty um, pieces of fifty outlets. Mm. I mean, this is a man who has renounced Australian citizenship, who still has more power in Australia than anyone else. And Polly's, you'd know one Polly would dare publicly take a stand against Murdoch. No one will. The Polly's are Anywhere shit in the scared. World. That's right. Except in Europe. Well, the British won't say much. The British, and Tony, re- Tony Blair snuck up to him. Remember, I do remember so clearly it was quoted a fair deal too. Uh, you remember when Rupert Murdoch said why he asked why he was backing Brexit and he said, when I tell them in Whitehall what's going yeah. on, they listen to me. When I tell them in Belgium, they laugh at me. Good, good. So that's why he backed that campaign, He's that dreadful, racist, scare campaign. The most powerful person in the English-speaking world. 
He's influenced uh, my reads the Soviet Union or Deutschland or other parts of the world. But in Australia and America and UK, he speaks and Polly's listen, you know. And again, why do so many people have such stupid ideas? Because they read his papers and, um, you know, they were enough of Murdoch. You know, so the Cuban Missile Crisis, Australia had a bit of an ambiguity about it because there was concern about, you know, how can we criticise the Cubans what we do? But end of the day, Australia faithfully fell in line. They lobbied at the UN. They're the first nation to publicly support the American actions. And it finally settled the Cuban Missile Crisis. No one got killed in the end. Um, there was a great doco I made about 2001-2002, which I saw at the Nova Cinema. And for the life of me, I can't get over it. There's a great doco on the on the Cuban Missile Crisis, and it's um, if anyone can remember the name, please let us know because I recommend it. But I can't remember the damn name of the film. What a film was it? Yeah, it's a doco on the Cuban Missile Crisis. It had lots of was original footage and stuff. You know, the the machinations in the UN, the machinations in the US Parliament, Khrushchev carrying on, Castro. Thirteen days. Could have been yes. That's got a resonance. I mean, it has I was, a resonance. It's a thirteen days. It does. But it was a great movie, a great film. Film. My, film. my dad used to call him Film, so we're going back a long um, time. My, well, my mother would have jumped on him. He's called him Film. He was a good Christian brother's tall boy, but he did have some problems with his parlance. Well, he wasn't taught very well then, was he? Speaking of Christian brothers, actually speaking of the Catholic Church, to be honest, there's an event coming soon. It's going to be held in the Aikenhead Hall at St John's Parish on the corner of Queen's Parade and Wellington Street on Friday, not at 6pm. Hmm. I'm sorry, did you say in St. John's? In at St. John's. I know the school. That's yes. not far from where I live, really. Well, there's a centenary of Archbishop Mannix's first speech against conscription. Of course. And I only just realised that was a, a, a Catholic um, school and church there when I saw they named the new building Aikenhead. Yes. Otherwise, I would never... I thought it was what an ordinary... I don't pay much attention to what, you know... But that caught my eye. Aikenhead, I thought, Mother Mary Aikenhead. I won a scholarship writing about Mother Mary Aikenhead once. What did you write about her? I wrote about the life of Mother Mary Aikenhead, and I got 12 months free education. (laughs) 12 months in the the ghost life. Free education for it. Well, my parents didn't have to pay, my father didn't have to pay one yet. It was a lot of money. It was... 40 guineas a term. Not cheap in those days. Mm, four terms. But, uh, yeah. As listeners might be aware, I've been fairly involved in a group called, no, I can always get it right, the Brunswick Coburg Anti Conscription Commemorative Committee. The and Brunswick Coburg Anti Conscription Commemorative Committee. And we've had a series of events this year. We've had like Judith Smart speak on the role of women in the anti war movement. We've had Peter Love give a great talk on Frank Anstey. And on the 16th of September at the Aikenhead Hall, Val Noon and a few others. We're talking about Mannix's first speech Val against Noon. conscription. How Val is Noon. Val? I haven't seen Val Val's for good. years. He, Val's he, going well. He was um, a priest once. I remember when he was he a was priest. A priest. Yep. He was a young priest. I remember priest. when he was a young priest in the, the anti-Vietnam War yes. days. And he was very active in those anti-Vietnam War days. And then he left. He left the priesthood, I mean. He left the priesthood, Thank yes. heavens. And, Heavens uh, is the word. And ever since then, he's been Val Noon. But yes, I run into. I haven't run into Val for some years. So he's going well. Sixteenth would be next Friday. Friday fortnight, my dear. Six p.m. Yeah, at the Aikenhead Hall, it's which, corner of Queen's Parade and Wellington Street. And Wellington Street. Yes, there's a tram stop just yeah. there. Anyway, and my bus stop. What time? Six p.m. 
6 p.m. I wonder if I can get up there. I can get up there. It's getting back. That's the problem. It's a me. centenary. Because on the 6th of September, 1916, just after Prime Hughes announced the first Christian plebiscite, Archbishop Mannix arrived at the uh, St. John's Parish to give a talk at the local bazaar. And he, um, he opened the bazaar of a couple of senses and then spoke for some seven minutes on an issue concerning them all at the present time, which was conscription. Which was conscription. And that was Mannix's first speech opposing conscription. And this is just before the first plebiscite. And as you know, the plebiscite was October 28, 1916. And it's events this year planned for that weekend. Um, Michael Hamill Green is speaking at Coburg, no, at Moreland Town Hall on the 28th of October. But prior to that, on the 16th at the Aiken Hall, corner of Queen's Parade and Wellington Street, Rod Quantock and oh, Val Noon. Oh, God's sake. Why, Rod? Oh. It, it was around the corner. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's enough to put me off. I'm just thinking, no, well, I'm just thinking, no. What's he got to do with it? He lives around the corner. Yeah, he lives around the corner. And Val, Val's obviously asked him. Why well, I don't know if Val would ask him. Well, someone has asked him. It goes from someone from your Brunswick, Coburg, anti-conscription. It could be commemoration yeah, there's quite a committee. There's quite a lot of us in the group. What's that mean? Just Rod Quanto. He'd jump on any band. Look, I live in the area with <laughs> Rod Quanto. I know what he's like. I'm just thinking. I'm just. I'm the. I'm the segue, my dear. I'm the messenger service. Because I was thinking, look, I'll go up there, but do I really have to put up with? <sighs> Sometimes. This, uh, you can have difficulties with neighbours and it makes it difficult to come across them in public places thereafter. Okay, why? I, it was all right, Rod, Rod used to come in here a fair bit. But look, I'm sorry, I, I just have a couple of problems. It's about neighbourhood traffic issues, that's all. Okay, well, I'm not going to do And it's got nothing to do with anyone except me, my own personal silliness. But that's a shame because I was going to say, I'll say, look, I look forward to going up and hearing the talk and Val Noon, and yes, and I can arrange to be picked up afterwards, etc. But um, truly. That was bad grammar you used. I my, probably my, did. my own personal silliness. My well, silliness yes. or my own silliness or yes. my personal silliness? It's my, yes, I know. It was bad. It was incorrect grammar, was not incorrect. bad. Grammar's not bad. It was, well, it was badly but the worded. The usage was incorrect. Yes, correct. But that's the right. You obviously noticed that because the rest of the time I'm always so bloody correct. The nuns taught me well. Well, my father's taught by the brothers. And, and, he, he, and, and he still he said film. Nothing. He, still said, he still said film. And I was raised a kid many years ago on film. But anyway, we're having a big centenary of Mannix's speech on the 16th. And it's interesting because um, we've just gone past, we've got the centenary of the anti-war movement, World War One activities. But we're getting... We're getting close to like fifty years since the um, the first conscripts went to Vietnam, and oh, we're, yeah. we're not discussing that. Which is why Michael Hamill Green's involved. Oh, Michael's in very this. involved. But back in '64, the law was changed to bring in, to conscript men to serve overseas, and there was enough regular trips in Vietnam, and the numbers started to fall. Why was the law changed? Why did it have to be changed? Because there was no act of parliament to allow a conscription to overseas to go service. overseas. Correct. Australian conscripts could serve in Australian territories, including PNG and Cook Island. Not Cook Island, um, what's it called? God, Solomon's. No, um, oh, I don't know. What's, what's the island where they put the refugees on? Um, not, not Manus. What's the one of Christmas Islands? 
They were well, Australian territories, but they couldn't go overseas. And this is part of the deal that was struck in World War Two. Right. So there so, was something. So in 1964, National Service Act was passed in Parliament. There was National Service Act, and no one complained about it. Well, not so much at the time because people weren't that motivated by the Vietnam War. It wasn't a big pro-war. It wasn't a big anti-war. It was what it was, and then it gave it momentum because um sneaky bastards. And the thing. first country with die was was it John Nowak in 1967. He was the first yes, I do guy. remember, and uh, I do remember. By the late sixties, Australia had a really good, strong anti-war movement in a variety of forms and shapes and sizes. But we don't remember it; we forget and about it. And that law is still on the books. That's right. I've said it before. I've mentioned it a few times. It's never been repealed. And I mentioned so any a while ago, time they can mm, conscript our right. boys and girls now. That's right. I'm not sure the wording. The wording includes girls. I don't have to. I've not seen the wording be active. Just males or females can be included. But it's never been repealed. It has sat there dormant for a long time, but it's not been repealed. And now we've been, and now the army, it's, now the defence forces have been given straight as if they needed it. New laws, like it now bomb factory schools and villages, hospitals. Well, they've been bombing hospitals and factories. Well, not they've been bombing hospitals and villages for a long time. It's interesting, but we've been the last few decades. There's been a whole militarisation of Australian history. And that age when you hear about the Vietnam War, oh, the poor diggers, oh, the poor, poor diggers. Bloody. But what about those that opposed the war? Those said, no, hell no, we're going to fight your dirty hell war. Hell no, we won't go. That's right. LBJ, how many bitmates did, did you kill how today? How many kids did you kill yeah. today? Hey, hey, LBJ. We forget the these things. Said. But I'm sure there are plenty of listeners who remember. But we need to put it back on the radar, my dear, and that's where the importance of the 3CR is, because if it wasn't for left after breakfast... And other shows at 3CR, you wouldn't hear these things. So don't forget, as I do most weeks, we had the Radiothon recently. You've pledged money at 3CR. Please make sure your pledges are paid up to keep 3CR your only radio left. And look, I have to um, mm-hmm. say again, look, I'm sorry. Um, I said that I had problems with uh, Rod Contact. I should. I want that scraped from the record. Remember, we can't do that. <laughs> All I can say is, look, I'm sorry, listeners, uh, that I said that about Rod Quantock. What I said was, I have a problem. And it's a problem from a long time ago. It was a very silly problem and it was very trivial. It was only about a set of traffic lights on a street corner. And truly, it was so long ago, it should be swept aside. And I take this opportunity now to remove it from my mind Totally, completely. And, of course, when I do see uh, Rod in the street somewhere, I say good morning or good afternoon, you whatever the case. You can see Rod at Hall on may, Fridays. May be, you know, whatever the case may be, Tim. But I finally accept how silly I was and to hold something for how many years? Your time 20, story. Your time story, my Maybe dear. more than 20 years. Over, over a set of bloody traffic lights. I must be silly. I apologise to, um, well, Rod... Quantock won't be listening, but I apologise to him anyway. Well, come along. And I apologise mm-hmm. to every other listener that I said that. It's, I really am. But Aikenhead Hall at 6pm in two fries, you said 25 Hail Marys there, you might have been cleansed from it. I'm not saying any bloody Hail Marys for anyone. On that note, I'll Are say... Are you mad? Are you mad? <laughs> I have worked in mental health, so working in mental health does help. Anyway, what more can I say than Chocula? Well, before you say Chocula... Mm-hmm. I would like to remind you to that next Saturday, September the 10th, we have a little um, ceremony thing for oh. Sigrid Borker. Yep. And it's, Where's um, that at? 
It's at Port Melbourne at the end of the Broad Walk. Okay. Adjacent to Station Pier. Good old. It's down there. So that's 12 o'clock, I believe. 12 o'clock, 12.30. Say 12 o'clock. Yep. I know if I aim to get somewhere by 12 o'clock, I'll be there by 12.30. Well, <laughs> I'm um, talking about the buses. I can never rely on the bus, no. on the traffic on the road holding oh, up buses. Privatised transport. So that's um, at the end of the Broad Walk there on Station Pier. It's adjacent to Station Pier. You, you know where it is, yeah. isn't it? And after that, I think some, we were going to have a jar or two, possibly, at um, the Mission to Seafarers. Sounds good you to You know me. where that is. Um, yes. in, um It's in Flinders Street. It's at Docklands. Yes. It's called Docklands now, so that's for Sigrid. Okay. To say, yes, here we are, Sigrid, your old comrade. And our feet are And, yeah, well, to Sigrid would say our feet are though we shouldn't really, we should be saying our dust for Danya. Just for Danya, yes. Because she was actually born in Russia. Ah. But by the time we came here, she, it was in Russia. But then it became Germany. But then it became Russia again. Those boundaries it's hard to tell. So much Königsberg, which Kingstown. Yeah. So wherever that was, she was born oh, there. Always changes. Well, it's 19, like Silesia. In 1939. Like Silesia, it's been yes. Yeah, like all the borders of mm. the, the Europe. Just, uh, yeah, well... Well, I'll go, and I'm going to say, chocula. Chocula, on the way. and all the best to uh, Rod Quantock, for, for heaven's sake. And good morning, everyone, again. Good morning to Irene. Good morning. Good morning. And, of course, to the bag man. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Irene. Good that to see you on time again, Irene. Oh, I was, so I was early. I was thinking the oh-so-elusive bag man. You like to make comments about the oh-so-elusive Irene, and she's reliant upon our tramways. That's right. It's not she, fair. She got here in time this morning. She must have yes. shit the bed. Well, I moved faster than I'm normally accustomed to moving at this yeah. time of the morning. Oh. <laughs> yes. 
That's good to hear. Anyway, well, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions later afterwards about what you think of the shop assistants union. You being oh. an ex-gallant um, oh. trade union official with the nurses strike back in 1986, I think it was. Uh, what do yes. you think of the actions of the shop assistants union robbing? Um, I'd like to, and after that, we'd like to remind people again about Sigrid Borkers. Oh, memorial yes. service. Do we have the details of where yes. her memorial is? Saturday the 10th. At the end of a pier somewhere? Yes, down there, um, Station Pier. You know where, where it is. In Port Melbourne. At the end of the boardwalk. It's adjacent to the Station boardwalk. Pier. Uh, not under the boardwalk. Under, under the boardwalk. <laughs> down <laughs> by <laughs> the sea. I've got a couple of songs coming up uh, <laughs> in the next few minutes. Oh. So stay tuned. Spare me. <laughs> and, oh, and, yes, I, I wish everyone a happy Wattle Day for yesterday. And I wish we would have Wattle Day instead of Australia Day. Oh, yes. What a lot of bloody trouble would be saved. Mm. Keep Invasion Day in January, yes. sure, but mm. let's have Wattle Day as our national thingy. Just oh, just oh. while you're on that Australia Day thing, um, yesterday, uh, on my, yesterday the, the UPF mm. uh, had put out a um, the United Patriots Fund, the far right-wing Nazi-type Young men, <laughs> wankers, <laughs> wankers uh, from Western Australia. He he put out a video saying that uh, there's going to be shit thrown in Western Australia on Australia Day because of banning of uh, in Fremantle because of the banning of um, of uh, fireworks, fireworks. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah. that they're probably going to set off their own. Is and that uh, anti what uh, supremacist when you don't have fireworks? Yes, it's 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 uh, treasonous. He said it's got nothing it's to treason. do with the environment. No, no, it's treason. He said, and he tried to treason. get in to see the mayor. He was calling him the mayor of uh, Fremantle. Oh, <laughs> to, he wasn't, to, was he? <laughs> to uh, uh, complain. Not, not that the mayor of Fremantle actually made the decision himself. It was what ten to one in the council. Is he Australian or American? Talking like that, yeah, mayor. I know. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Mayor. Oh, he wanted to see the mayor. Okay. Watches American uh, shows. And uh, and so there's going to be shit oh, right. well, in better, Fremantle on Australia well, Day. So just get keep ready. Keep low. <laughs> hey, you see they had a demo last week in Melton yeah. against, uh, against the mosque yeah. or whatever. So yeah. they turned up on a Sunday yeah. um, and Everything no one shut. else turned up no. to oppose them. So they belted the shit out of each other. Yeah, yeah they had oh, a fight between the... Uh, what do they call the uh, what's of Odin? The uh, prin- princes of Odin. Prince of Odin. Or, or something. Yeah. Anyway, and, uh, look, look, they're a far white group from Norway. Yeah. These mm. blokes ought to be told <laughs> if you're going to march on the town hall, the first thing you do is find out when the town hall is it's open. open. Yes. So I rang the town hall and they said they're open from eight thirty until four forty-five Monday to Friday. <laughs> so <laughs> there's not much use marching on a Sunday no. on the town hall. And they're all it's closed. Milling. If you saw photos or video of them, they're all milling around pointlessly for ages until they found somebody to fight with in the car park. And even when they had a fight, they couldn't pull the skin off a rice custard. No. They were about as weak as boarding house tea. Well, they were just yelling and swearing, basically, yes. Couldn't knock a sick chook off a perch on a window guy. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. like that one. About couldn't 122. Sons of Odin. Sons, Sons of, of Odin, Odin, that's it, yes. That uh, young man who... <clears throat> Murdered all those school children, those young people in Norway. Oh, yeah. He was oh, Brevik, one of the sons. Anders, yes. Bre- was he one of the Anders sons of Odin? He has. Ah. Well, there's the a group of, of them here. 
in Australia, in Melbourne. Far right wing, as if Norway's uh, concerned but they're, about it. Well, for some reason, the UPF don't like them at the moment. They've oh, had a fight. They probably call them wogs. <laughs> oh, I don't know, but they, they should go back to where they came from. It's Bolts. like yeah, it's they like in go. primary school. They've had a little primary school little uh, tizzy it's thing. So we throw milk bottles back at each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I can seat. say is I've never heard of any town hall being open on a Sunday. Have you ever, <laughs> no. ever, ever? No, but they would would have gone there deliberately with it closed, so that <laughs> they didn't get worried and frightened. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> They Any, could just, you know, put anyway, on a show. Anyway, I tell you anyway, what, following the revelation <laughs> from Fairfax Media of the wholesale wage theft of workers yeah. in the retail <sighs> and fast food industry and the collusion of shops, the Shop Assistance Union with all major employers and their employer buddies raises two questions. Which is the biggest crime? Yes. Now, young people in the retail and fast food outlet have been robbed of $300 million yep. per year. Per year. Per year because of deals done with the Shop Assistance Union. The DLP. The DLP. Yes. Um, and with Coles, Woolworths, um, McDonald's. McDonald's, KFC, Red Rooster, and every other major pizza chain. Seven Eleven is still rotting yeah. workers as well, even yeah. as despite everything that was well, supposed to have happened with Seven Eleven. They've made death threats. The people who have made claims against them yep. for uh, unfair um, uh, wages and whatever, certain uh, franchisees have uh, threatened to kill. And apparently, they're extorting workers. The the um, what's happening at the uh, at the workplace is that they're being paid the extra and then they're being made hand over cash it. back yeah. afterwards. Yeah, so they earn 500 bucks a week and they, when they get it they're in their claw, you have to hand 250 <laughs> of it back. Yeah. Um, but the system's not uh, corrupt. Uh, oh, don't uh, ever let us say that. Uh, the restaurant and fast food industry is corrupt as yeah. it can get. Yeah. Now, uh, this union colluding with... Uh, major employers to cut penalty rates, yep. cut shift rates, yep. cut their hourly rates. These people, the Shop Assistance Union and the major employers, went to Fair Work Australia and swore on the Bible that the deals they, they had made between each other would pass the no disadvantage test. Yep. So it means that... What they were saying was, no, workers are not any worse off uh, than they were before uh, under the award. Well, $300 million per year, these people ought to be in jail. Well, I think they really meant that the owners wouldn't be any worse off. Oh, yes, right. Got it wrong in terms of who they were I, talking about. Yeah, I tell you what, um, <clears throat> following these revelations, um, Kathy Jackson is looking like Mother Teresa. Well, I think you ought to go easy on that. <laughs> well, yeah, Mother Teresa. Quite, no. Oh, no, well, I'm not a great fan of Mother Teresa. Oh, no, anyway, no one so, is. Foul, so there you go. <laughs> I, I don't mind you saying Mother Teresa. No bag pain, man. no gain. No. <laughs> but Bagman, yeah. Bagman, how long have you been denouncing Kathy, how long has it been? Five years? Uh, I go Ten back, years? I go back to 1982 then when I helped to write a book called Rip Off Ronald, uh, exposing the underpayment of workers' wages and conditions and whatever. And from that point on, I've been continuing to fight and, uh, and to expose those people and on your program for many, many years. But once again, 
Fairfax have came out and, you know, said, oh, we've discovered all this other pain yeah, and whatever. Yeah. They only had to listen to 3CR, yes. listen to Left <laughs> After Breakfast yeah, every a lot, Friday morning. It's cheaper for them. They don't have to send out people to That's look right. At it. I remember, well, but, your book, Rip Off Ronald, Rip Off bestseller, Ronald. wasn't it? It Just was about. But, you know, the ACTU and the Labor Party are both culpable in this yes. because uh, they want the money from the union because it's a big union. The ACTU uh, The ACTU yeah. uh, wants to take its money mm-hmm. and Labor is happy to let it uh, interfere in uh, Labor policy and use its uh, uh, weight of numbers to have an influence on, well, really what are Catholic issues, you know. Mm. It's got nothing to do with anybody. Against so they're against abortion. And contraception. And, yes. Women. And, yes. And whatever. Women working. Women doing anything. So, so women doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. So the ACTU wants the money, yep. and the Labor Party wants, wants the numbers. The, yes. So what the shop assistant union does is they make these um, uh, these uh, uh, deals with the with the bosses, yep. and they inflate the figures about people uh, about how many people have joined the union. Well, they're a signed up people, by their bosses. Well, a lot of people don't know they don't know their union. members. Yeah, and <laughs> and they're submitting uh, false names and whatever. Yeah. So. There are a lot of people in Parliament now <coughs> who have been pre-selected mm. on the basis of the invited figures from the Shop Assistance Union and now sit in Parliament. Yes. And they've now got they, debts to pay. Well, they must have the yes, same. If, if they were willing to be pre-selected on the basis of what the Shop Assistance Union endorsing them, then they must be um, anti-abortion and against corruption yeah. and whatever, the same as... The old DLP or the shop yeah, the assistant DLP. union. Do you mean for corruption or against corruption? I mean, corruption? yeah, you know what I mean. I've <laughs> yes. got tongue-tied there. Yeah. I'm getting my corruption You're mixed up. Excited, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> and as for Cathy Jackson, oh, jungles, as you call her. Do we have to talk her. about it? <laughs> but how long has the bag man been talking about Cathy Jackson? Yes, but it's interesting, isn't it, that she Lock. wasn't charged with anything for ages yeah. and uh, because the Liberals had made her their shining star. Yeah. Working class hero, she yes. was called. Oh, well, and, she uh, was a lion of the trade union yes, movement, according to Christopher Pine. And, yeah. and that's because she took the lion's share yeah. of her workers' money. And, uh, and <laughs> in the age, it's, she's now the hyena. The hyena. <laughs> well, it's more like what she she's is. She's coming in after the lion's I'm been just, there. All, I'm not going to go through all of her crimes, but I just think of those workers at Peter Mack. Yeah. Yes. Who, who, and their money, which oh, they were done she out of their back stole. They never, she they, got it. Yeah, they never got any of it. No, she took it. I the mean, money was paid their back It's pay, astonishing. And she just took it. Yeah. And it went on overseas holidays for her. I mean, seriously. And buying sombreros and whatever. That yeah. is, I can't think of anything more foul. Your own union members, you'll get, you get some money for them from back pay, which they are owed from their em- yeah. employer. Yeah, it's theirs. And it's theirs. It's <laughs> It doesn't even go into union funds. It goes into your Straight personal into bank pocket. account. Yeah. But let's just, make an Australianist oh, prediction sorry, here. Yes. It'll be a long time, a long, long time before Kathy Jackson or Michael Law um, see the inside of a prison cell. Mm. And even if they do end up in there, I don't know what the prisoners have done so heinously <laughs> wrong 
to deserve that. No, I but, think... Um, yes. it, it's a fact that um, her and her partner, Michael Law, have already booked into the local psychiatric facility. Oh, the ones she goes to? The ones she goes to every second time weekend. Some, something every time she's in up. trouble. Yeah, yes. every time she's in trouble, she yeah, books when, herself into the When she gets event. a subpoena, um, she books into the local psychiatric facility. Um, so th- that's Private what we've got to, look, got to look forward to. Uh, yes, that'll uh, figure generously in any plea that's made for her. I tell you uh, what, though, there's people lined up to give evidence against her, and if they give evidence against her, they implicate another um, well-known Labor Party figure. That we won't name. David Feeney. You're not going to name names? I was oh, David, David Feeney, Feeney. please. <laughs> Be, I tried. I hope you can back this up. Because, uh, Absolutely. Uh, good. Okay. Yep. Yep. Once good friends, even sold houses between each other. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Or oh, did he remember that he'd sold the house between them? <laughs> Might have been the one that he the forgot, one that he to he forgot about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, um, the shit will really hit the fan um, if she ever turns up um, to, um, to plead uh, guilty or not guilty. It'll be on a stretcher probably. Oh, I'm what, in, like a in a wheelchair. In a wheelchair. Wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, what's his name? The Christopher's case. No, yeah, and also from <gasps> from Western Australia. What's his name? Alan Bond. Bond. Alan Bond. Yes, he's lost he, his memory. He lost his memory. He lost his memory. That's the thing to do. That's it's the way funny, to go. you know, because um, <laughs> his son caught that from him. When his, oh, son, did he? when his son was pulled up about, <gasps> yeah. his son was pulled up about two million dollars that went missing from the business account, or something, and then they said, "Now you have two million dollars in your own personal account," and it was in the same week. And he said, "Oh, that's my own money." And they said, "Where did you where did you get it from?" He said, "A friend gave it to me." And they said, "Who?" And he said, "I can't remember." Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> He's got some good friends. Actually, I could remember any. I could remember someone who gave me two hundred dollars, uh, much less two exactly. million. But I might say that this. Makes what I was accused of uh, back in 1980, whatever it was, 88, 89 or something, when I was being vilified for misusing the strike fund in the ANF when they were getting, trying to get rid of me, which they were successful, uh, which got into the media that I'd misused the strike fund, which was that I had, because I wasn't taking my wage during the strike and I was a single parent and I had a, had a mortgage. You were broke. Uh, I was broke after about the first four weeks. And I requested whether I could borrow $2,000 from the strike fund, which was uh, okayed by the strike fund, head of strike fund, Belinda Morrison, who took over my position, mm. and um, which I paid back. Then I was accused of misusing the strike fund. Yeah, well, they, they get you so, coming or going. Oh, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no matter what you do. <laughs> And, and normally, um, once they've accused you of uh, misappropriation of union yes. funds, if that doesn't work, yeah. then I'll accuse you of having an affair. Oh, yes, I was some, accused of having somebody. an affair. More uh, than one affair, I was yeah. accused of. Yes. Irene, I don't know about this accused of having affairs. I read in the newspaper at the time fact that it was fact and the different affairs. I was like, gee, she gets around, gets a, around bit. a bit. I did. I was very busy. <laughs> I was extremely busy shoveling, shoveling. But that's a that's a typical union tactic. It is. It's always uh, used. Yeah. And, uh, Financial it's and then sexual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. 
um, you haven't paid your dues or something, uh, as say you're unfinancial, but uh, uh, they've got it down. What, what did Janet Armstrong, what did they throw on her now? Uh, well, they actually, uh, uh, Jeff Jackson, uh, the then husband of Kathy Jackson, um, found a docket um, from a bra shop oh, that's right. where she'd been to buy some bras and some knickers and whatever. So on the front page of the Herald Sun, oh. it was uh, Jan Armstrong 30, 32D, or yeah, I don't know, whatever about it was, that, yeah. and, and lacy panties and whatever. Well, you don't know anything about it. You know there's a 32D, don't you? know oh. what that is. So yeah, but, yes. but the deal at that time was that um, secretaries of unions could use their own credit card and at the end of the month they would be given a uh, um, uh, a, list, a list of yeah. what they'd paid yeah. and Jan paid We'd them pay all off. Back. Yeah, paid you see, them we back. didn't have credit cards, fortunately, or so I probably would have been accused of misusing yes. my credit card. Uh, what I was accused of, though, and vilified for was, uh, and it went through the council, I might say, was, was obtaining cars for organisers and other officials. We used to have to use our own cars when I was an organiser. Oh, right. Uh, yes, and when my when I was run off the road coming back from Gippsland on doing my job, uh, my car was totaled. I lost money having to get a new car. It was a new car that was totaled. It was mine, and so I decided the organisers and other officials should have their, their own cars, car. which most enough. unions were doing, and I was vilified for that as well. Even though council had agreed <laughs> to it, but I was told that I had too much. Sway over the council, yeah. so it was my oh, fault. Heavens, like, I mean, you can't read either way. You, so all of that, yeah, but you knew that, Irene. Yeah, before all of you it even was circulated. Fight. All of it was circulated to the members, though. Anyway, in the end, you won. That's the main thing, isn't it? Well, and in the end, I lost the election. Yeah, I know. But nurses, but I, nurses yes. now oh, benefit from they did. Uh, from yes. what you you yes. and the nurses at that, at that time yeah. fought, yes. and I, I reckon nurses are. Uh, should be put up on the pedestal. They should be. Oh, should I've be. spent and enough time in hospital recently that they should be put up on their own and actually, pedestal. actually, they've got a big membership legitimately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, did you hear um, Senator Jackie Lambie in the, in oh, the, yes. in the Senate the other day? She referred well, to yes. uh, Corey Bernardi, <laughs> Bernardi, Bernardi as Bernardi. a prostitute. Mm. Yes. Uh, and then immediately... Apologised. <laughs> apologised. Did she apologise? Yeah, though? she apologised to the sex workers. Oh, yes. I thought she said, I'm sorry to all the sex workers. <laughs> well, in my opinion, of course, Jackie Lamb is a bit of a... Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, I, she's I an unknown back, quantity But every ways, now and then she will say something that's quite real, and that's yeah. very quite good. real. Yeah. Although she did turn up to the uh, winter ball with uh, Darren Hinch, which put a black mark against her name. Oh, there you go. You know, there, there's a bloke who's senator and <laughs> never voted in his life. No. Um, fiercely. He's always said he, doesn't, he didn't believe in voting. And he's also voting. been in, jail. in voting. Um, had sex with a 15-year-old girl um, and that was never charged but admitted to it. Um, and has been in jail for... Uh, been in jail for <laughs> contempt of court on yes. a number of occasions. Yes. Uh, and he's a lawmaker now. Yeah, I know, but see, if, if you want to run a campaign against... Very droll, very yes. droll. If you want to run a campaign against sending people to jail for longer and pedophiles to yeah. jail forever, yeah. Yeah. and, and then you set up 
and don't forget hubcap stealers to jail for like to jail. Right. Yes, jail yes. hubcap stealers. And set up an yeah. organisation called and what he called welfare bludgers yeah. and pensioner piranhas. Yes, and also his own words, wanting vigilantes to know where pedophiles are living and run them out of their houses and run and worse. Yes, and worse. So and that has been mistakenly seen by some as standing up. For the victim, yeah. mm. it's not standing no, up it's for not. the victims. It's not. It's, it's vigilante justice, and it's yeah, I'm, reactionary. I'm always amused by people that say that when you go to jail, it's like a holiday house. Three meals a day, three <laughs> no, meals a day, and like you get a there. television and yeah. a computer or whatever. Yeah. Well, if you've never been there. Wait till the door shuts on you. Yep. Um, you're in the world of your own there. Yep. Uh, no holiday uh, about it. If you want to go somewhere to be raped and uh, to be bashed yeah, and murdered, some, uh, other go to jail. Other nice people there. Yeah, uh, yes. Right. <laughs> you, meet, well, you meet the nicest people sometimes in jail. Yes. You just don't want them sharing a cell with a, with a politician. Uh, yes, so it's no, it's ignorance, and it really drives me insane. Can I just put in amongst Absolutely. the... Um, People who've been uh, removed, uh, sometimes rightly and sometimes wrongly, from their positions. Dilma, Dilma Rousseff, the uh, Brazilian uh, president, who was uh, previously a Marxist uh, leader, a guerrilla, and she has now been uh, removed from her position in Brazil for apparently, allegedly, manipulating the budget. She didn't take anything from the budget. She but manipulated she, it. She, yes, she must have, I don't know the details, but she allegedly re-itemised something to make it look a little bit better. Uh, they well, should she be moved, locking up yeah. every leader in every country, I would have yes. thought. Well, yes. if you're a former guerrilla, it's not a good start for your career, is it? They're going to get you in the end, though. Well, they, they got her. But yeah. She, yeah, she's been doing good things, but they got her. Yeah. Well, how long has she been there? I was in Brazil a couple uh, of years ago, and I don't remember. I she thought, took over from the previous, did he die? Or, 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 or was he shot? De Silva or something, his name was. Was it De Silva? I, yeah. I actually photographed him at a uh, large conference I was attending. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what happened to him. Yes, yeah, something I have happened. I've forgotten now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Someone she, probably poisoned him. Um, well, yes, yeah, so I don't think anything good happened to him. Uh, but uh, They don't have long lifespans. Well, unfortunately, no, and they've but they've managed without killing her. Here we go. It's a, she was a Fox's, former Marxist guerrilla. Uh, well, she looks a bit like one too. And she was the first female. She looks like yeah, she first looks, female guerrilla. No, first female president of plenty Australia. of female guerrillas, plenty of women uh, guerrillas. There's no gender division in the in, in the, in the guerrilla warfield. Not when you're up there fighting in the hills, mate. There's no gender division. <laughs> Uh, so she was defiant till the end. She responded to the visit, Senate vote that stripped her of the presidency on Wednesday. Um, they think they've defeated us, but they're wrong. Uh, she was imprisoned and tortured in the early 70s under the military dictatorship. And, uh, yes, removed from office for breaking budget laws. Uh, breaking budget laws, yes. And, uh, well, it, I, I got very confused with it, reading it too, but, well, anyway... I'm not going to go on about it now. No, can I just um, uh, give you some correspondence I've received from Alex Hutchinson, who is a, a donor to this uh, program. And Alex used to be the secretary of the Musicians' Union, uh, which unfortunately is almost dead and buried. Um, he says, you've nailed, 
it on all counts, Dennis. All the workers are affected by the How grubby. How does he know your name when oh. it's a secret? Oh, it's just outed you too. He's oh, I've outed myself. Um, Affected by the grubby SDA deals have been sacrificed purely and simply to increase the union's numbers, numbers, Mm. the ultimate aim being to capture more seats in each and every parliament in Australia. Now, that's just a brief synopsis of uh, what Alex says and keep up the fight, Alex. Yes. Now, apparently, Lola... Da Silva. Lulu, that's his name. Lula. Lula. Luis Inacio Lula da yep. Silva. Yep. He retired. Oh, did he? Oh, Alive. Good. Well, that's good. Yes. Yeah, well, I, and I, she, she took over from him. Yeah. I well, actually she photographed him. Well, he, was a, well, he, he was a country's leader. He wasn't anything like um, a trade unionist who, after all, had lifespans of six weeks. Yeah, that's right. They were shot, weren't they? Six weeks was yeah. it. Um, can you give us the details about Sigrid uh, uh, once again so that people who may have missed it, because Sigrid was a vital part of the next program and a vital part of this uh, radio station for many years. Um, so And of, of the vital part of progressive left politics over the years. Yes, there was a, a memorial for Sigrid at 1230 on Saturday, September the 10th, so not tomorrow, the next Saturday, Saturday, and it's down at Port Melbourne at the end of the boardwalk. The boardwalk, as you know... Under the the boardwalk. She's not under the boardwalk. She's not buried in there. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, Susan... That's adjacent to Station Pier, that's all, and after that, it'll go and have a jar or two at the Mission to Seafarers, you know, the... Unfortunately, I won't be able to be there. I'll be in Queensland, and the week after that, I'll be in Japan. So oh, you'll be missing me for a couple the of weeks. Can I just make a, yeah. a quick uh, tool of the week, which is the uh, Court of Appeal in Queensland, uh, is the tool of the week. It was given a belting by the High Court because yes. it uh, reduced Jared Baden Clay's uh, jury found murder conviction down to manslaughter. It was. Uh, that was uh, changed by the High Court back to murder. Mm. And right, Waku, we've been listening to Left After Breakfast. Uh, let's go out in the same old way. Why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. If you don't fight. You lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast. <laughs>